Um, so uh, today uh, we're going to be going into the second uh, part of our freedom series, and we're going to be talking about free to live the glorious life, free from the fear of people. Uh, so we're not afraid of people. We live gloriously apart from the fear of people. That's what we're going to be talking about. So join me in prayer, please. God, we thank you for giving us this moment in time right here and right now to receive from you what you have for us. God, I ask that um, you would bless each of us as we listen, that we would hear from your spirit. You would bless me as I'm communicating that uh, it would not be my words, but yours. And so we ask your spirit would be in the presentation of the message and also in the receiving of the message. By your grace, allow us to hear from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to picture with me that you are headed out to some sort of social gathering, maybe a family holiday party or maybe a lunch with your coworkers. Maybe you're coming to a church event. Whatever it is, going to a concert with some friends, you're about to head out, and you're leaving in about an hour, and so you're getting ready to go. What are you doing? What are you in the process of doing as you're getting ready to go? You're praying. Oh, nice. Awesome. And so what are we thinking about, and what are we doing to get ourselves right where we want to be? For most of us, there's, there's all sorts of different thoughts that might be happening. We might be getting our ducks in a row as far as uh, lining things up to make sure that we're not going to look like, you know, morons <laughs> hanging out. We might be thinking about what we're going to conversate about, like what are the conversations going to be. Um, there's been times where Jen and I have had people over and we'll, like, have a discussion ahead of time, like, what do you think we should talk about tonight, you know? Just like what would be a good, fun conversation to have? Um, Maybe we're um, getting changed and trying to look our best, figure out what to wear. Uh, Sometimes we might be thinking about how to avoid certain conversations or certain people. Or maybe we're trying to just figure out how to lay low in general and kind of fly under the radar so that we're not seen too much or whatever. Regardless of what it is that we're thinking about in preparation, most of us at some point feel the need to manage our interactions with other people. And, you know, when you are uh, learning business and when you're learning life skills, one of the important things is to learn how to deal with other people. And we learn how to interact with others. But there's also this temptation that comes in, which is to make a really big deal about our interactions with other people in the sense that we think our interactions with others are really important for our own benefit. And so my own security my own sense of feeling good about myself, my validation, my legitimacy. my All those things can be found in how others perceive me or in how I manage those relationships. I'll be more secure if I get more people who like me or if my close friends stay in a good spot with me. So I have to manage these relationships and, and, and these friendships and these perceptions and these working relationships and I have to manage all of them to keep them in a decent spot if I want my life to go well and if I want to feel okay about myself. Thereby, we empower others in many ways 
to have a lot of authority in our lives because we have to manage them in order to to make sure we are okay. You understand what I'm saying? And um, the problem, of course, with that is it's it's really easy to get into the place where we're chasing what other people want and what other people are doing or what other people's concerns are. We call that the fear of people or the fear of man, the fear of not man in gender sense, but mankind, the fear of mankind. And the fear of man, the fear of people really has to do with when we're taking our cues, not directly from the Lord, but we're taking them from other people, you know, and, and that's a, that's a big issue. And that sometimes that's about perception and how I want to see myself. Sometimes that's about a leveraging and managing relationships. Have you, uh, we know, you know, that there's a, a chase to that thing that can be kind of endless, right? Where you keep chasing and chasing and people's perspectives and opinions and moods and trends and all those things change. And when they change, you're con- we constantly would have to adjust to people's moods and to people's fancies and, and desires in order to constantly be pleasing people or constantly be managing people. And it just doesn't work out. I mean, if politics or pop stars has shown us anything, it's that you can't count on the pole of the public opinion. You know, one day you can be a politician who's riding with a a massive approval rating of people, and the next day it goes down through the tank, and there's nothing you could have done about it maybe, you know? Or you could be a a person in the entertainment world who, you know, one day this story gets told about you, and everyone loves you, and the next day this story gets told about you. But that can happen really closely with friendships, can it? It can happen where it's like, I thought we were good. And then they, you know, there was a miscommunication or something happened or maybe I messed up at something. And next thing you know, that friend wants to completely bail on me. And, you know, it's very difficult when we live the life, when we live our lives chasing people. It's an exhausting life and it's an unstable life because people are unstable. And so we can't count on people as our sense of security or as our sense of legitimacy. And we get stuck when we do. I, um... Saw the advertisement for this new um, talent show that's out there, Rising Star. Seen that? The and I, I haven't seen it or anything. But apparently, um, the premise of this show is that there isn't. It's not really um, judges that uh, send you forward, like in American Idol or in one of the other shows. It's not judges that send you forward. It's just straight public opinion that um, if you get enough votes, then you move on to the next level. So whatever the the populace says is worth moving forward, which kind of actually makes sense because if you, what you're trying to make is a pop star, then what you really want to know is what's going to sell records, you know, and what's going to mar- produce. And, and in, in the entertainment world, really, who is the judge? It's the one who's buying the entertainment, which is the masses. And so in an entertainment culture, what's easy to start to believe is this is that whatever people in general think is good or whatever people think is worthwhile, that that says something about my value. That it, and, and this is the way it works out when you're not talking about a talent, um, a, 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 a talent show. If instead you're just talking about our lives in general, it works a lot more on Facebook when or in any sort of social media where initially Facebook, of course, is a place where you put your pictures out to share with your friends and family so they can see what's going on. But very quickly, Facebook can, uh, you know, digress into what? How many people can like a post? Or like, that's a really creative picture. You're fun. You're cool. Boom. 
And the more uh, thumbs up that a person gets, the more it says something or whatever. And there's kind of a tone across our culture right now that is a continually increasing tone within our culture that says, I find my value, I find my security, I find where I'm at based on the perception that others have of me. And if I can maintain and manage these relationships well, then I'm in a safe spot and in a secure spot and I can feel good about myself. Of course, that's uh, exactly what the enemy wants us to think. And the reason is because, not only because it's very different than what the scriptures ask of us, but because the enemy has the ability to kind of chase us around the room or get us to chase him around the room. And of course, the enemy's temptation has always been, like we talked about last week, every time there's a lie of the enemy, he wants to get the power of the cross out of our lives. He wants to separate us from God and separate us from one another. And he wants to turn our allegiance toward him. And the way he does this is that, see, there is actually a judge of our life. James 4 2, I believe it is, or it's somewhere in James chapter 4, um, where, it, where, said, where it says that there's only one judge and one lawgiver. The one who can save and forgive. So the one who can both condemn us, the one who can both judge us, is also the one who can save us. The one who makes the laws and then the one who judges us based on the law. And of course that's God. And so in this, in this, um, recent show, Rising Star, where there is no judges, the general public is the judge. That's because the intention of, of the show would be, what makes me look good? How do I promote my own glory to everyone else around me? The opposite of that, of course, is how do I reveal the glory of God? And there's only one judge who can actually say how I'm doing when it comes to revealing the glory of God. And that's God, who can say, is this person revealing my image? When we were created, we were created in his image, to reveal him. And so the the grand goal of my life is that the character of God should come through my life so that when those watching look at me, they do not see Tim. Or they do not see Parker Ford Church. Or they do not even see the people of God. They see the character of God revealed in those who are channeling and allowing the Spirit of God to flow right through them. And that's what it looks like. What Satan does is he tries to get us to chase an ever-elusive standard. It's not the glory of God. It's just what the people like. And what people like changes all the time. And what will make this person happy, it changes all the time. How will I manage this person? That changes all the time. And, and so I get, I feel really good about myself when I'm doing well. And that's called I get conceited. Or over here, I don't like where I'm go, where things are. And I feel shame about it. So I have to try to pull myself up by my bootstraps. That's called selfish ambition. And so there's selfish ambition and there's conceit. And either we're riding high on the winds of pride or else we're plummeting the depths of self-loathing because we're not where we want to be. Either way, it's about me and it's not about anyone except me. And if I do well, that's the image of Tim. And if I don't do well, I'm loathing the image of Tim, you know? And what God calls us to is something far better than all of this. And so that's where we are today. And it's uh, Philippians chapter 2. Okay, so turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 2.
You can stand with me and honor God's word, please. <clears throat> so, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. In other words, if you've received anything good from the Lord, then complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, being together in this thing. Okay? Verse 3. Do nothing. Hold on to that word right there. Nothing. Think about this. You Put on your thinker. Okay? Put on your thinking caps. This is not... This is a theological message today. It's not a deep message, but it's theological. This is a thinker day. You got to put on your thinker. You don't have to think real hard or real deep, but you got to think. Okay? So work with me on this. Do nothing. Nothing. What does nothing mean? It means nothing. Okay? Do nothing from selfish ambition. What's selfish ambition? It's for me, right? Whatever I want to see happen, do nothing to get what I want to see for my life. Nothing. No exceptions. Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, which means conceit is that I'm better than others to show that I am better already, okay? So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's assumed we'll look to our own interests in there. Um, but don't look just to our own interests. Your belly will let you know when you're hungry and your pride will let you know when you're hurt. But don't just listen to those things. Listen to the interest of others. All right. Now, verse five. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, well, we'll keep going but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you're ever at Tenebrae service, if you ever come to our Good Friday service on Tenebrae, one of the things, one of the questions that gets asked in that, in that service is, how do people handle it when someone comes in pure love? And we would think that that would be an exciting thing for our world. But it's never an exciting thing because it blows up the whole social system. The whole social system is based on you itch my back and I'll itch yours. When someone comes not wanting anything from me, rather just wanting to do what's best for me, it doesn't actually work out very easily in our world. And we end up crucifying them. That's how we do it. Because they're not playing ball the way we want to play ball. So... Jesus, when he realizes he's in human form, instead of playing the God card and saying, everyone's got to see me as above everyone else, instead he humbles himself and says, I'm going to show you what God really looks like. Okay? And he comes and he starts to serve. Therefore, verse 9, God, Father, has highly exalted him. So in the eyes of God, he's exalted, while in the eyes of men, he was despised. But in the eyes of God, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. I love it. The picture of all the angels, all of heaven, all those who have passed before us, falling on their knees, and every person on earth falling on their face, and under the earth, even those who have passed and have gone not to heaven, you know, those who are in the grave, they are on their face before the Lord, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Therefore, my beloved, just a few more verses here. This is where it gets practical for us. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. That's because Paul doesn't want them to do this in order for him to be happy. He wants them to do this when he's not around. You know how you want your kids to do well when you're not there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We'll come back to that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So do all things without grumbling or disputing. That happens when we're in competition with others and trying to leverage others. We grumble about what they're not doing and we dispute about who gets what. But he's like, don't worry about all that. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. May God add rich blessing to the reading of his word. Have a seat. God's standard, he is the judge in the, in, in, uh, the talent show of life or whatever, you know. Uh, there is actually a judge. What everyone else says doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all because there's only one judge and one lawgiver. The law of the Lord is what? Anybody know that verse? The law of the Lord is perfect. What is God's standard for our lives? Say it. Somebody said it. Perfection. Yeah. Why is God's standard for our lives perfection? What's God's purpose for our life? We just talked about this a little bit ago. To show his glory, to glorify God. So if we are anything less than perfect, do we reveal the glory of God? No. And the core characteristic of God, of course, is that of love. Which means I perfectly, every time, in all situations, don't think in selfish ambition. And I don't think in conceit. I never see myself as better than another person. And in any situation, I'm always thinking about what will benefit them instead of what will benefit me. Who's got it? <laughs> you know? And, and, and there's a judge who looks at his law. He's the lawmaker and says that men were created, men and women, mankind were, were created to reveal my image, to be in relationship with one another where they're completely pouring themselves out sacrificially on behalf of the other person. That's my standard. To the extent that we do that, we live in the glory of God. And he thumbs us up and says, I like you. <laughs> I like this thing. And that was a good post, Deering, or whatever. And then he, he bumps us up to the next round on the talent show and says, good job, way to go. You are approved. You are a solid child of God. If I do all of that. You know, that's the, that's the lawmaker, the judge, and, and how I get validated by God. The problem is, is Romans 3.23, which says what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So since we have sinned, that means we thought about number one instead of number one, right? And when we thought about number one, we sinned and we stopped revealing God's image, which means we failed at our job. That means we went to hit that high note at the end of the song. And guess what? We just like squeaked 
Our voice cracked. We were flat. It didn't work. It was off. Judge said, I don't care what the public thinks. That was not my image. My voice doesn't sound like that. When I love, I take on the form of a servant and I go to hang on a cross. When you love, you were trying really hard to love that other person. But as soon as they started treating you like that, guess what you did? You were like, don't think so. Kick them to the curb. I'm going to go get mine. And he said, thumb down. You're not making it to the next level. That is not revealing the image of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. Each man is going his own way. And that's the way it works. So that means that there isn't one of us who's actually, that he can put his stamp of approval on other than Jesus. There's only one. And it's Jesus. And so, of course, Satan's lie to us all the time is that we actually can self-improve. You know, Satan wants us to think that we can improve ourselves. And he, the way he gets us to think that is because when, after the message, if this is a message that you want to thumb up, you know, you might say there, there's, there's a good part of this. And that's when you've been blessed by the message and you express gratitude for the way God has moved in the message. There's a whole nother way that as a preacher, I might be fishing and saying like, Hey, was that a good message? You know, what'd you think of it? You know? And you're like, yeah, it was awesome. And then I'm like, yes, I self-improved. I'm a good guy who helped people out. And Satan's like, good job, Tim. You're awesome. You're so good. And I'm like, yes. And the next week I bomb my message and I'm like, oh, I'm terrible. And Satan's like, this is awesome. Tim just thinks about himself all the time. And he's a preacher. And I I just get him to think about himself all the time by one week, having him do a good job. Like he feels good because this person says he's great. And the next week he bombs it. And he just constantly thinks about himself and whether or not he's doing good or not. And God's nowhere to be found because, you know, no one's seeing God. They're only seeing, Tim's only seeing whether or not he's doing okay. He's not looking to anyone else's interest. He's only looking to his own, you know? And when we live our lives based on the public poll or based on what our friends think or whatever, then we're chasing Satan around instead of letting God speak clearly to us as Romans 8 tells us. If you turn to Romans 8, chapter or chapter 8, verse 30, it says this. And those whom he predestined, please don't get caught up in the whole discussion about predestination and free will and all that right now you need a discussion with me about that, we can talk about it some other time and I'll tell you that I have no idea what you're talking about. And then um, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. These are relational terms, not theological terms as much. It means he desired you before you desired him. Anybody going to disagree with that? When he predestined, he desired me before I desired him. Okay? He desired me. And those who he desired, he called. He whispered and he said, hey, Tim, come here. Come here. And those whom he called, he also justified. What does it mean to justify? Make right. He said, y'all are not right. (laughs) Y'all are not right, but I'm going to make you right. I like you. And I'm calling you and I'm going to make you right because you need to be validated and you can't feel validated when you know you're not right. And, but I'm going to make you right. And the way he, how does he make us right? Yeah, right there. He makes us right on that cross through Jesus. Jesus, he who knew no sin 
became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Okay? So He will make me righteous. He will justify me. He will make me pure by what with a theological term is imputed righteousness. He will put His righteousness on me. Okay? So those He called, He also justified. And here it is. This is the big one. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What does it mean to glorify? It means He makes us shiny. That's what it means. He makes us shiny. It means that we reveal God's character. That there is something beautiful. That the image that we were called to carry for God. We were called to be the the people carrying the torch of God in our lives. Revealing the very light and brilliance. The image of God's character. And he says, I liked you before you liked me. And then, because of that, I whispered in your ear and I said, come here. And you're like, I'm dirty. I can't come there. You won't like me. And he's like, it's all good. I'm going to justify you, wash you, cleanse you, impute my righteousness on top of you. And then what's more is, is when you begin to believe in the justification that I have given you, it's going to change your life. And what's going to happen is your decisions are going to start to look different and you're going to act different. And when you start acting different because you believe different because of what I did, what's going to happen is when your life starts to look different, you're starting you're going to start getting shiny. And that's what he said in that Philippians 2 passage. He says, in a crooked and depraved generation, you will shine like stars in the universe. You know, this past weekend, uh, some of us saw fireworks. I was just talking to the Gens little boys before the service, and I was asking them if they saw any fireworks. And uh, the older one said, yeah. Younger one said, no, they're scary. (laughs) <laughs> I was asleep. And the, the, the fireworks, you know, when you get to a certain age, fireworks start to be really fun, even though they're loud, you know, even though they boom and all of that. But there's always this thing about you want your kids, if they're real young kids, it's, it's, it's easy to get them to miss the fireworks because fireworks, you can't start them until late at night because it's the middle of the summer and you need it to be dark outside, which is really nice. But then once you get them to sleep, they're going to wake up anyway because they're <laughs> You know, but what ends up happening is once the sky gets dark, we see the brilliance of the fireworks. And we all know the spiritual principle that light shines a whole lot brighter in the midst of darkness. We see how pronounced the beauty of those fireworks are when they're against a black backdrop. And if you ask uh, someone who knows a little bit about atmosphere or about matting a picture or something like that, the background of a picture does as much for the picture as the picture itself. It's the, it's the, the whole format in which that thing happens gives the pop of the beauty. You know, it gives the, and what happens when it comes to how Satan tries to get us to think in terms of glory, he, he makes it like this, rising star, name of the show. The, the last one was American Idol. I mean, really, like we didn't, we couldn't see the, the failure in the fact that there's idol in one and rising star in the other. You know, but here's the pile of stars. This is what the show's about. A pile of stars. People who have talent. And you keep piling on all the talent. And people climb on top of the other trying to get just this much better at what they do. This much more beautiful, this much funnier, this much smarter, tiny little bit better than the competition beyond them, just so they can say, I'm a little better. And what that, you know what that looks like? It looks like 
at most, it looks like the moon in the middle of the day. Where most of the time, you don't even see that it's there. More likely, it's like a star in the middle of the day. Not the sun. That's out there somewhere. But I don't see it. Because it's drowned out with all the other light. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And if we want to find true glory, if we want to live the glorious life that God called us to, it will not happen by gauging ourselves based on the glory of mankind. There has to be a dark contrast that says our world operates based on the system of competing with one another, impressing each other, forming contracts with each other, trying to leverage just a little bit to get a tiny bit ahead so that we can validate ourselves. And Philippians is asking us to do something completely and totally different. Paul is saying in the book of Philippians, he says, I want you to shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation where it's all darkness and bursting onto the scene is the brilliance of a completely different lifestyle. Something radically different where you can honestly walk into a room today and you can be preparing to go to that family holiday and you can be going to that church event and instead of just thinking about how is this going to work, how can I get this to work to my advantage or how can I look okay or how can I just disappear because I don't want to be seen or any of that, what I can honestly be doing is I can be preparing in prayer saying, God, what does that person need and how can I bless them today? Philippians says there's a way to live that way. Human relationships, where I scratch your back and you scratch mine, those are called contracts. And most of our relationships with people are based on contract. Where we understand, you'll be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You need this done at work, I need this done at work. If you do this, I'll do this for you. And there's kind of an ebb and a flow to that. And that's basic humanity right now. The, psycho, the psychology of, of relating to one another has to do with contracts. And Philippians gives us a picture of something very different. It gives us the picture of how God does relationships. He doesn't do contracts, he does covenants. And the difference is when you're in a covenant relationship, it says you may have absolutely nothing to offer. You may treat me terribly. You may nail me to a cross. But I will think about you instead of thinking about me. I will still come to this relationship giving instead of trying to receive. I won't break this relationship because you have been unfaithful to me or because you have been hurting me. I still come with the mindset that I am here to bless and give, not to receive or compete. And that's the picture of God's love. And the only way that we get there is not by working at that love. Turn to Romans chapter 8 again. Starting in verse 33, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I want you to just keep reading with me. This passage will blow you away. You've heard it before. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as the sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's my job when it comes to being free. The temptation for me is to try to legitimize my relationship with God. Have you ever been tempted to try to legitimize your relationship with God? Do you know what I mean by that? I know I'm a child of God, but I look at kind of how this person lives their life, and they seem a little bit holier than me, you know? And so I feel kind of bad about where I'm at. So i got to work a little harder to be a little more Christian. Have you ever had that mindset? That's a lie of the enemy. That's like lie number one in the church. Okay? This is why. Because I cannot justify myself. I cannot sanctify myself. I cannot glorify myself. I cannot self-improve myself. There is only one who validates me. There's only one who has the right to judge me. Do you realize that there's not one person in this room who has the right to judge you according to glory? You know who that includes? That includes yourself. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I can't. But one thing I can do is forget what's behind and look forward to what's ahead. And the reason he's saying this is because in Romans 8, 33, it says, no one has the right to judge me except Christ. And his judgments have already happened because he took it for me and he justified me and cleansed me. And this whole thing of gauging myself and whether I'm doing well or not doing well, he says, you didn't come to Christ that way. In Galatians, that's what he says. You didn't come to Christ that way. So why are you acting now like you're going to self-improve yourself by working harder? We cannot legitimize ourselves as children of God. You cannot become more or less legitimate as a child of God. It is done. It is finished. The victory is over. You've been washed. You've been justified. You cannot become a better Christian. You are either in Christ or you are not. There is only one who is righteous and his name is Jesus. And you either died in the grave with him and rose with him or you are not righteous. Your righteousness will never be found outside of Jesus. And any time that the devil whispers in your ear, if I have a little more quiet time or if I treat people a little better or if I love a little more, then I can feel better about myself. You turn around and you stare the devil in the eye and you say, I am righteous for one reason because I no longer exist. There is only Christ and I am a member of the body of Christ and I have been justified, sanctified and set free by the cross of Jesus and by no works of my own. So get behind me, Satan. And that's how we fight the battle. For Christians, that's where the battle's fought. And the competition and judgment that happens in the church, engaging one another, that's all because we're still trying to self-justify based on our behaviors and others. And wait, you can't get away with that. I want to do that. Or, you know, like all that junk. And underneath of it all is the truth that sets us free. So I don't have to care what they think. I don't have to care what I think. The only one whose opinion matters is the one lawmaker, the one judge And he has justified me. And he has set me free. And it's not because he's impressed with me. It's because he's impressed with his son. And I have been hidden with God in Christ. And that's the filter by which he sees me now. Is when he sees me, he sees Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for me. 
that I might become the righteousness of God. We do a mockery to the cross of Christ when we try to legitimize our own faith. We do justice to the work of Christ when we stop self-justifying and we praise God for making us brilliant stars in the universe. The more we believe that, what ends up happening is he changes the way we work because if you go to some impoverished country and you ask a little child who hasn't eaten in a few days, you give him a loaf of bread and you put it in front of him. You give him a little piece of bread. Hasn't eaten in days, maybe weeks. Give him a piece of bread and say, I want you to give that to everyone else instead of eating it yourself. Really? And most of the time, that's the way we feel. We feel starved for legitimacy, starved for a sense of security. We feel empty and helpless. We feel rejected. We don't feel confident. We don't feel loved. We don't feel legitimized. And then God's saying, don't think about yourself. Don't go after selfish ambition and don't be conceited. Instead, consider others better than yourself. Look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. And we're sitting here saying, man, but I need love and I need legitimacy. Instead of hearing, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The battle's not fought when I walk into a room and I decide whether I'm going to think about Nancy and Nate or whether I'm going to think about myself. That's not when the battle's won. The battle's won when I wake up in the morning and the enemy is trying to dictate the agenda of my life in order to self-improve. Or he's getting me depressed in the morning. And there's this moment in the morning where I have an opportunity to say, I either believe and trust myself to make my life better, or before my feet hit the ground off the side of my bed, I'm going to say, Jesus, I need you to tell me again. Tell me again how much you love me. Tell me again how much you respect me because of what your son did on the cross. Tell me again how okay things already are. Tell me again that I don't need to make my life secure, that you already have me covered. Tell me again what I mean to you. Do that thing that you talk about in Romans 8 where your spirit whispers to my spirit that I'm a child of God, that you've adopted me, that you've loved me, that you, you just are wild about me. Tell me again. I know you told me yesterday, but it's kind of running out. Make my cup overflow. Because I know that if I swing my feet out of the side of this bread and they hit the ground, the next human interaction I have, if I'm not filled up with the love of God, it's not going to be a good interaction because I'm going to be trying to leverage that relationship for my own needs. Instead of coming into that relationship fully prepared to give myself for what that person needs. Turn with me to the takeaways. You have your sheet. What's the lie underneath the fear of people? It's that I have to manage my human interactions for my purposes. In other words, people have something to offer me. And they don't. God has something to offer me. That's how it works. Anything good that comes to me from people, I should praise God for. Everything comes from God. I do not need to manage my human interactions for my purposes. It's an important caveat at the end. There is a, a moment to manage human interactions. Paul says, I've become all things to all people so that by all means, he may further the gospel. 
This isn't for his own benefit. It's for their benefit. Okay, so I'll remove any barriers in my life, my own agendas, in order to help this person receive what it is that I have to give them. You know, what's the truth that oh the the passage there, Proverbs twenty nine. Write that down. That's a super important passage. You can go and read that later. What's the truth that breaks this form of bondage? God meets my deepest needs, and I can engage humans with sacrificial love. God fills up my cup, and my cup runs over. And so I can engage other, I, there is actually an ability for me to engage human relationships without it being about me. That can happen. That's a, that is a biblical principle. That can happen. Some of us feel like that's impossible and is too far away. It is not far away. It's absolutely impossible by human effort to love with agape love. It is a very easy thing to do when God's doing it instead of me. When God runs through my veins, my spiritual veins. Scripture references there are found in Isaiah and 1 John. If you write them down and meditate on them, that would be good. If I were to hold on to that truth, how would my life look different? First of all, I would see God as the satisfaction of my deepest desires and needs. Think about this for a second. I want you to stop here for a second and think about this with me. If you think about what drives your life, what do you want more than anything else? What do you desire? What do you get depressed about that doesn't work out? When do you get frustrated when things don't work out? And what is it underneath of it all that you really want to work out? If I believe this truth, I will believe that God is the one who provides all of that. Oh, that one's missed on there. I didn't have that one on there. So um, first one says, I would see God as the satisfaction of my deepest desires and needs. The second one is then I would not be afraid or depressed by others' thoughts of me. That doesn't matter. Whether they're close friends or whether they're the crowd in general, it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks because I already have the third thing there, or the second on your sheet. I would find consistent joy and peace in God's approval. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. When he says, I'm going to work out, he tells us in that passage we read in Philippians, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It means the salvation has already happened, but I've got to exercise that in my life. It's an awkward thing for me to say that I've been saved, but to still really care what everyone else thinks. Well, then what have I been saved from? Just from eternity apart from God? Is God's salvation powerful enough to free me from the fear of people? If I'm saved, then I don't have to care what they think. I'm free from other people's opinions or other people's interactions with me defining how I feel about myself and my life. I can have joy and peace consistently because of God's approval. My influence over people would be for their good and not for my gain. There isn't a person in this room who doesn't have influence over other people. Even tiny little ones. Just ask the moms among us and the way their babies cry and what happens to them. Those babies have influence. You know? We all have influence over each other. The question is whether that influence is used for our gain or for theirs. And if I believe that God is the one who meets my deepest needs, then I have the ability to engage relationships for their gain, not mine. And what would that look like? That when I walk into a room, I'd be seeking for ways to give and to bless rather than for ways to impress others, to compete with others, to prove myself, or to receive something from others. Instead, I'd be coming in to bless. Here's the challenge of the week, to start each day telling God who I wish to be. God, in my mind's eye, this is how I see life being good. This is who I wish I would be. 
This is what I wish I could accomplish. And this is how I wish people would see me. And this is how, you know, this is my own image of myself. This is what I dream for. And then, now that I've been honest with that and confessed that to God, what I'm going to say is, but I'm going to claim the truth of the cross and say that I'm already legitimized by what you've done. And I don't need all that to happen. My life is now hidden with God in Christ. And I'm going to claim that truth and I'm going to thank you for it. And say, in your mind, I'm okay. Help me to have your mind about myself. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Okay? I'm going to thank him. And then I'm going to just give him full permission and say, my life's not for myself. You never made it for me to be self-satisfied. You made it for your glory. Life will be the best when you use this life to reveal your life. So go ahead. Have at it, God. Do what you want to do today. Help my eyes to be open to however you want to glorify yourself today through me. That's the challenge for the week. Listen, this is how I'm closing. Every now and then when I talk about this, this is this part of the gospel right here. The power in this form of the gospel changes the world. The me- this message today, I'm just going to say this. I want you to hear this. This is an honest word from your pastor. I have never preached a more important message in my life than this message today. It's not the best message I've preached. It's not the, the, the one that will passionately blow your socks off and all of that. But this simple truth right here about taking our cues from what the gospel says instead of taking our cues from what the world says, there is no more important message than that in our world and in our area right here and right now. Take these verses and meditate on them. Think this through. That's why I said we got to wear our thinking caps today. Because it's not how deep of a concept it is. It's how simple of a concept it is and how easily we blow right past it without letting the power of it take root in my life. It's a simple truth. But the power of that truth will transform. And every time I talk about this kind of thing, I usually have someone say to me, Tim, that's really good theology. And I get that spiritually but you should see what it's like at my workplace. I mean, I still got to manage my boss because my boss is crazy. And the people I work with, like I have to manage those relationships. And I understand what you're saying is I should only be receiving my cues from God, but in the real world, like you have to deal with real relationships and manage things that way in order to move forward. And I'm telling you, that is a lie. It is a lie. I'm telling you, it's a lie. The most successful man I know of in Scripture is Daniel. How many kings of the earth found him the most helpful voice? Man, from Ronald Reagan to whoever the next president is, he went through every one of their administrations and was the secretary of state for each one of them. The vice president for each one of them. That's how successful Daniel was. He was so trusted. And it wasn't just the same country. Another country would come in and take over that country. And somehow they'd find Daniel who would rise to the top, who would shine like a star in the universe. And they'd be like, I need that guy to tell me what I should do with my administration. Guy was incredibly successful. Why? Because every time that one of those kings was looking for truth and looking for direction, they would have a whole bunch of people around them who wanted to form social contracts who would say, oh, king, I'll give you what you want. What is it that you want? And let me tell you so that you'll be happy with me. And the king would be like, 
you're worthless to me. And Daniel would say this. I'm going to go seek the Lord. And I'm going to pray. And he's the one who brought me to Babylon. And he's the one who will eventually take us back to Israel. But he has me here for a purpose. But I am not here to serve Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not here to serve Darius. I'm not here to serve Cyrus. I'm not here for that. I'm here to serve God. And I will pray. And I will seek God. And if you don't like what God has to say, you can put seasoning on me. And you can shake salt on me. And you can throw me into the lion's den. And I don't really care. Because the only approval that matters and the only security that I actually have is not in my job. It's not in my salary. It's not in the approval of people. It's not that I have the protection of this king. Because this king, who seems like he's king of the world, God snaps his fingers and he turns into a wild beast tramping around the fields for seven years like Nebuchadnezzar did. You see, I serve the king of kings and the lord of lords and the only opinion that matters is his. And I will serve him till the day I die. And when Daniel did that, what happened was is he was able to speak truth that no one else would speak. And he was valuable to those kings because he had the power of God flowing through him. And they learned that they needed Daniel, because they needed God. So when we listen to this message, breaking off the fear of people, the agreements with people, this this is not playground stuff. This is big boy, big girl stuff. This is what the battle's based on. That when I go to work, I will serve my boss, and I will serve the people around me, but it won't be because I'm going to do things the way they want me to do it. I'm going to serve God and he's going to show me how to bless those people. And I'm going to bring the heat of God's love up into my workplace. That when I come to my neighborhood, I'm not coming in order to try to get people to like me or to try to manage relationships so I'm okay with my neighbors. I'm coming to see the power of God transform my neighborhood. Because I walk in the inheritance of the living God and I don't need anything else. Feel the power that runs through your veins, knowing the approval that God gives you as a child of God, adopted, loved, and legitimized. Let's pray.